It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us. I hope you and yours are well and safe. Yes, we will, of course, be talking about the latest on the coronavirus in today's show. It's kind of obligatory at this point. It's what's consuming all of us pretty much all the time. We'll talk about the latest in what is essentially our leaderless response to this crisis. But I'm going to start introducing what I'm going to be doing over the next few shows, which is looking at the coronavirus and our response to it and and tying it into bigger issues and policy questions. But first, there actually this week, there was... News that was not particularly coronavirus related, and I would like to spend time talking, much of today's show actually, talking about the big news, the state of the Democratic race, with Bernie Sanders just having dropped out, thrown in the towel, leaving former Vice President Joe Biden as the presumptive Democratic nominee to go up against Donald Trump in a few months, assuming we have an election in a few months. Bernie Sanders is thrown in the towel and exited the race. He had better not exit the scene. He is one of the best things the Democratic Party has going for it at this point. He is the conscience of the Democratic Party, if not necessarily its intellectual and policy leader, which to a large extent he seems to have been, at least during the primary. A remarkable feat for a political party that he's not even technically a member of, having been an independent during his time in uh, national office. Bernie Sanders reminding us that he is what Americans have always been saying that they want in a politician, in many cases without meaning it from the Republican side, but what Americans have always said they've wanted in a politician and always have lamented that they haven't had. A politician known for his almost unflinching honesty and integrity. A politician who has shown himself willing to take on the entrenched powers that control our politics and our policy and to fight for the American people who have very few people willing to fight on their behalf, most cases including themselves. A strategy, taking on the entrenched powers that is, that continues to show itself to be basically a losing strategy in this country. Representing the interests of American public that frequently is incapable or denied the ability to represent its own interests. But perhaps a a strategy now for Bernie Sanders that shows hope for building up a new movement, perhaps a fledgling movement, to inspire young people and enough voters in this country over time, and which is one of the few slim reads that those of us with a progressive heart and a hope for a better country can in fact latch onto to find hope. One can understand, in fact, why Bernie Sanders, according to Hillary Clinton famously recently, and others, one can understand why many of his fellow politicians may not like Bernie Sanders. There are perhaps a few obvious reasons for that. One is that he perhaps at times has shown the arrogance or the confidence in the rightness of his position, the disdain for positions that are corrupted by money and other things that 
is natural, as I've argued on this show. When people who are actually doing what they need to to become informed and thoughtful and know that they're speaking against people who are relying on false facts, fake ideas, and who are relying on policies that are put into their heads by people with a whole lot of money. In other words, people who see themselves rightly working within a system that is absolutely failing. But I think the main reason why Bernie Sanders may not be very popular among his fellow politicians is that he can't make them feel good about themselves. It must be hard to be making all these compromises that have always been necessary in our political system to sell out to one degree or another and to look and see someone who may perhaps represent the idea that all of those sellouts, all those compromises may not in fact be necessary. And in fact, you may just be a little bit of a sellout for personal expediency. In any event, Sanders has had already a dramatic and inspiring impact all of a sudden. Another reason for some of us to grab hope from recent events when there's so little to find to be hopeful about. He's had a dramatic and inspiring impact on the Democratic Party, not even his party, the Democratic Party, and its presumptive nominee, in fact, Joe Biden. Since 2016, he's had an impact on the party, but of course, that impact has become most apparent in the 2020 Democratic primary. Again, as I've spoken about over and over over the last few months. The positions he espoused have started taking hold, at least in the stated preferences during the primary of his Democratic opponents, including the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. Let's not forget, however, that there is major work ahead, both for Bernie Sanders, we hope and expect, and for those of us who want to make this country better than it has been and want to move forward in the right direction, and yes, in many respects, save this country from what looks now to be a very, very ugly fate. Bernie Sanders has expressed, said the right words in in giving in, in throwing in the towel. He has expressed the fact that he understands that there is major work ahead for himself to make sure that the promises of the Democratic Party are kept. Democratic positions, policy positions stated in the primaries actually become reality when and if the Democrats take power again. Sanders notably said, while this campaign is coming to an end, our movement is not. Those of us who supported Bernie Sanders, or in my case, even more so, Elizabeth Warren, who also, I believe, represented this movement. This is important words, because the movement is a fledgling movement at this point, and any hope for saving this country lies in our fighting to make sure that this movement has lasting legs and growth and actually changes this country for the better. We must be reminded while all that is going on that the best way now that we have to improve this country, to save this country, is by getting behind the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. Even those of us who have found his radical centrism uninspiring over the years and often even uninspiring during the primary campaign, who have been felt let down by his continued discussion of compromise and working with the criminal organization that represents the so-called other side. 
We need to understand that he is our best hope for saving this country. He was, of course, he has become the presumptive nominee because much of the Democratic primary voter uh, votership has felt that he is the best person to beat Trump. That is the first and necessary step to save this country. I've mentioned a whole lot of times that if Donald Trump is reelected, I believe that there is no hope for the future of this country other than absolute misery and awfulness, a country that we just will not recognize, especially against the hopes and the dreams and ideals that we've always held for it. So it starts, the movement in the right direction starts with electing Biden, and then it starts with pushing him to continue to actually advance the progressive agenda that he has at least paid lip service to in many respects during the campaign. We must push, push, push President Biden, let's hope, to enact the progressive agenda that Sanders has advanced and which in fact has proven to be so popular among the American public, almost exclusively because it is right, even though it has not gotten a fair hearing anywhere in the media. Biden's saying the right words, now he has to do the right deeds. In fact, Biden also, after Sanders conceded, we should give him credit, he also said the right words. In fact, I, I was inspired by this quote, and to your supporters, Biden said, I make the same commitment to work that I've, that I've made, that he made towards Bernie Sanders. I see you, I hear you, and I understand the urgency of what it is we have to get done in this country. Let's hope that, that Biden means those words, and let's make damn sure that he lives up to them. It will indeed be a huge battle going forward. The battle has just begun. It will be a huge battle as power concedes nothing without a demand. Ooh, those are kind of inspiring words. Too bad they weren't mine. That was a good line. Power concedes nothing without a demand. Uh, that uh, that Freddie Douglas has, has quite a bright future. The guy who actually made that quote. Yeah, I, th- I think he's got a good future ahead of him with lines like that. Anyway, now that the Democratic Party has chosen a centrist, what will that mean for the election? What will that mean, for instance, to the media and its coverage of the election? <laughs> we, we can expect that it will mean basically nothing. The media will still engage in both sidesism that it loves to engage in, the false equivalencies that are the media's bread and butter. Even the media that lives in the fact-based world. We can expect, of course, much of the media, the right-wing media, the Trump media, to just continue to lie about everything and to continue to make up lies about Joe Biden, as obviously they have been for a while. See, impeachment. But we will see false equivalences from even the mainstream, so to speak, media, where we will be hearing about how Both parties are so partisan. The fact that the Democratic Party has once again nominated the most centrist of centrists running will not matter as it covers the election for simpletons, in many cases by simpletons, and just finds it easier to make the false equivalencies. Gosh, there's so much acrimony in our country today. Gosh, the political parties are so extreme right now. Gosh, both sides are so extremist and so set in their ways. 
the fact that the Democratic Party has once again chosen to nominate a centrist will probably not affect that at all. Just keep that in mind as we continue over the next few months to talk about, among other things, the way the media is covering the election. We need to make sure, of course, that there is at least some truth to what they are saying. That, in fact, the people are given a real choice in this election between a narcissist and a criminal organization that believes in nothing but lining its own pockets and a political party that actually will try to advance the interests of the people of this country. Again, not exactly equivalent there, is it? We must never forget as we go forward up through this election, despite what the media will try to tell us, that our opponent in this election is in fact our enemy. That's right, I'm going to be pretty partisan here. I guess I'm not the mainstream Democratic Party. The Republican Party is not just the opposition, it is in fact the enemy. That is what happens when you are a criminal organization willing to burn the entire place down and destroy the lives of millions in order to get a little bit more for itself. Gee, is the media going to forget all this? Well, that gives me a chance to talk about Thomas Friedman's latest op-ed. I did have a chance several weeks back to talk about positively a Thomas Friedman op-ed in the New York Times where he called for Joe Biden to come out and talk about who he would put in his cabinet and include all of the people in the Democratic Party and all of the people that they represented. (coughs) Well, now that it's Biden, even before it was certainly Biden, but when it was obviously Biden, Thomas Friedman this week has come out even more centrist than that. That wasn't centrist enough. That wasn't unity enough for him. Thomas Friedman has called for a unity cabinet for Joe Biden. That's right. While Donald Trump just puts one political extremist loyalist hack after another into his cabinet, into our, into our government, into the federal judiciary, the Democratic Party once again needs to reach out and be nice and centrist and include the other side. Because with Thomas Friedman and others, the establishment will always have its way. The establishment will get what it wants. It will get people in power who will make sure not to rock the boat for the powers that be and the billionaires that are pulling the strings in this country and the world. It is telling that Thomas Friedman's proposed unity cabinet from a Democratic Party going up against an extremist extremist criminal organization includes more Republicans and business leaders in key positions than progressives. More representation in his proposed Democratic government than actual Democrats, than the Democratic Party, than people who have been carrying the mantle and gathering their support during the primary because their ideas are actually popular and actually correct and actually based on science and a desire to make people's lives better. That's right, his proposed cabinet has more Republicans and business leaders than progressives. Because, of course, the lesson from the establishment media is that the Democratic Party must always compromise with the scum. In other words, same old, same old. Here we are, same old, same old. Don't worry, Charlie Brown. If you just do this and run up and kick the football, I will hold it, says Lucy. Forget all those other times it hasn't worked. You know, 
if you'd only nominate a centrist president who will reach out to the other side, even put Republicans in his cabinet, if you would only do that, like, you know, if you had done that with Obama and Clinton and every other Democratic presidential nominee and president in your lifetime, most of you listeners. That's right. If you would only do what you've already done. You know what? If you would only, for instance, reach out and pick consensus, moderate judges to fill the federal judiciary. If you would only pick a consensus Supreme Court nominee, someone who Republicans say they could actually live with. A guy like, I don't know, Merrick Garland, maybe. If only you'd done that, then I bet the other side would play nice and things would work out so much better in this country. If you'd only done all those things, we wouldn't have gotten to a President Trump, except, of course, that we did. We wouldn't have gotten to a President Boy George before that. And, and in our, our, our understanding, our, our throes of despair at having this absolute jackass of a president, this clown, this joke, this narcissistic pathological liar who shouldn't be anywhere near the presidency. Let's not forget that the Republican who preceded him was almost equally a piece of shit because we keep forgetting that. Let's not upset the apple cart that, for instance, has filled our federal judiciary with partisan extremists, Republican clowns by a party that has lost, if they lose in 2020, seven out of eight presidential elections. Yeah, that's a recipe for a good future, Democrats. Just keep doing what you're doing and work with the other side. And eventually, I'm guessing somewhere around 2200, when we're all boiling a Republican party that's actually reasonable and legitimate. Yeah, that'll work. Anyway, let's talk as we talk about this about the Republican Party, about why we may not want to reach out and work with them. Why it is that Bernie Sanders just dropped out of the race? What was the precipitating event? Well, the precipitating event, of course, was the latest vote in Wisconsin, where Biden, again, won handily. Now, if you just think, I understand you guys all know, you all know that there was the vote in Wisconsin. This isn't coming as a surprise to anybody. But just take a few moments and, and just l- let this sink in. Just just think for a few moments if you haven't already done that. I'll wait. Or now, nah, better yet, you can put it on pause. Uh, how weird does this sound? How weird is this that we had a freaking election in the middle of a pandemic where across this country we're being told to self-isolate? Stay in your homes. Don't go to the freaking grocery store, but go wait online to vote in a polling place where people hopefully will be swaddled in plastic from head to toe, protective equipment. Just think about this, how insane this is that we sent people out to vote. It sounds insane because it absolutely is insane. And why would we do this? Well, there's a simple answer to this. Because we have an insane and evil 
political criminal organization that is running much of this country right now, despite basically not having been voted into such positions. We have the Republican Party. We had a vote in in Wisconsin because the GOP continues to demonstrate its commitment to stopping people from voting in this country. Again, I've talked about this before, but just pause this for a second and let this rattle around your brain for a little while. One of the two political parties in this country, again, is committed to stopping any semblance of democracy in this country. You know, I've talked about this a lot, of course, how Republicans only get elected if they stop people from voting, if they interfere with voting, if they put up all kinds of obstacles to voting. Um, But even I haven't gone so far as to say that the Republicans have proposed killing people for trying to vote. You know, I, I even didn't go that far. That the Republicans said, if people try to vote, we should kill them for doing that. As, you know, we might in some more inspiring totalitarian repressive governments that motivate the Republican Party and give it its inspiration. But in this case, of course, that's what's going on. The the Republicans, we could ask ourselves, we maybe we'll find out over the next few weeks, how many people did they actually kill? That's right. How many people did they kill? How many people, we'll never have exact numbers for this, Republicans always count on that, like in global warming and stuff, but some of the people who braved the pandemic to go out and vote will presumably have contracted the virus as a result. Some of those people will die as a result. The rest of them will generally be miserably sick, ill, and using up resources. But that's okay, because look at the effect this had in suppressing the vote. We'll ask yourselves in the, in the aftermath of this, how many elections? Local elections, because local elections were on the ballot. How many local elections did Republicans manage to steal by keeping people away from the vote? The Democratic governor, in case you missed the procedure here, had suggested that maybe they should extend the period for voting by absentee ballot. And they should distribute absentee ballots to people, make them available to people who suddenly realize that they're not going to be able to get to the polling places and they would like to vote by mail. You think? You think that was maybe a reasonable idea? That in the midst of a pandemic where we're ordered to stay at home, that maybe people should be able to vote from home? As Donald Trump, of course, pointed out recently, he thinks absentee ballots are not reliable unless they come from his supporters, in which case they are absolutely reliable. This is the kind of stuff Republicans say out loud because their base and much of the country are fucking stupid and fucking evil. But this eminently sensible idea of extending absentee ballot voting to protect the safety of people and to allow the election was, of course, stopped by the Republican legislature. Yes, the governor in in Wisconsin is a Democrat. The legislature is firmly Republican, which is another reminder, of course, of how unbelievably fucked up our so-called democracy is and how far we are from anything even approaching a democracy. 
What are the difference between these two things? You've got two political parties that disagree representing their interests. Hey, the, de- the Democrats have the governorship. They, you know, they don't have the legislature. The people voted to, to divide the government. Well, what is the difference between the governor and the legislature? The difference between the two, the most salient difference, is that the governor was actually voted into office. That's right. The governor of Wisconsin got, what's the word for this? A majority of votes in a statewide election. Whereas the legislature was stolen by the Republican Party. The people did not install the legislature. The Republican Party installed the legislature. Sound fair to you? Sound like maybe a reason why the legislature wouldn't have the interests of the actual voters in mind? This was accomplished, aside from voter suppression and all the other things, this was accomplished in large part in Wisconsin through gerrymandering. I have talked at length about gerrymandering even in Wisconsin. That was the subject of a Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court once again got to show its partisan colors. It will again in a few moments. The gerrymandering that has allowed Republicans to put a lock on the state legislature despite the fact that they keep losing statewide elections that will allow the Republicans to continue to control the state legislature where they literally can lead Wisconsin's to die in order to try to vote. That's the government of Wisconsin. That's, I guess, the false equivalence where we'll hear the Democratic governor versus the Republican legislature. There were some disagreements. Again, the Republican legislature has absolutely no business being a Republican legislature. So once again, the minority manages to rig the game to keep itself entrenched in power. Sound like democracy to you? Sound like something that both sides are looking to do right now? Because it's not. But anyway, I mentioned the United States Supreme Court. Well, it once again covered itself with glory. Our bought and paid for United States Supreme Court. In a 5-4 to four decision, this effort to allow Wisconsinites to vote and to vote safely made it to the United States Supreme Court where the five conservatives who have no business having a conservative majority except for the fact that Republicans have stolen it decided that squelching an election was a pretty good idea. Reminder that the Republicans have stolen our courts so that they could steal our democracy, so they could further steal our courts, so they could further steal our democracy, and this is what we are left with. The five to four majority opinion, I'd like to read an excerpt of it. The majority of this court, in this opinion, relies on the long-held legal precedent of, I got mine, Jack, screw you, nya, 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 nya. I mean, after all, We're Republicans. You don't expect us to vote for something that might actually hurt Republican electoral prospects. That's not why they put us into these positions. We are, after all, political hacks, not judges. Why are you people so stupid that no matter what we do, you still think that we have integrity? Okay, that wasn't, full disclosure, that wasn't actually all a quote from the majority opinion. That was more a quote from reading between the lines rather than the actual lines of the opinion. The Supreme Court might just as well between the lines have gone on to add 
Why would this even surprise you? We are relying on our long precedent of Supreme Court decisions. Going back to Bush v. Gore, where stealing elections for Republicans is perfectly fine. We're also relying on the legal precedent, the the famous legal doctrine of, what are you going to do about it? Yes, just like in 2020, we are blatantly stealing an election. And what are you going to do about it? Because you're going to do about it just what you did in 2020. You're going to do 2000. You're going to do nothing. You're going to sit there and take it. Because you have decency, you have integrity, you play by the rules, which is why you're always going to lose to fucking shit like us. You know, one might look for a hopeful lining here where Republicans say that even though we are in the midst of a pandemic, voting needs to go forward as planned. One might hope that this would impact their efforts to change the rules to nullify the 2020 presidential election, which have no doubt they will do if it is obvious Trump is going to lose. They will do everything they can to postpone the election, nullify it, whatever. Some might think, well, they're, that, that, they're not going to do that now. That becomes even harder because it would be so hypocritical. <laughs> You're not really saying that, right? Nobody listening to this show, certainly nobody who spent any time, much time in the past listening to the show would actually ask that, right? Because that would show a remarkable underestimate, underestimation of the Republican Party and its criminal, criminality and would spectacularly overestimate American voters, particularly lo- those who vote Republican. They will have no problem saying one thing on day one and the exact opposite on day two. They do it all the time. They'll do it with the election as well, if that's what they feel they need to do. They will steal the election right in front of us, and they will once again know that we will basically do nothing about it. People like me will take to our podcasts and we will rail. But the the liberal establishment the Thomas Friedmans of the world will write that this is the time the country needs to come together. We will not pick up our guns, mostly because we on the left aren't the ones with all the guns. And we will take it. And this country will complete its slide into totalitarianism. Yes, this is the future that one can argue may in fact be the most likely future for this country right now. Better fight, people. Better get ready to fight before this happens. Republicans are already fighting efforts to facilitate voting nationwide. And they're succeeding. And they have their courts backing them up. Because as the President of the United States was willing to say out loud, efforts to make it easier to vote would mean, quote, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. Good luck, America. I'd like to, we're almost done at this point. I would like to at least talk some of the basics of the uh, what's been going on, update you on where we stand with the coronavirus, and introduce what I'm going to be talking about over the next couple of shows, which is what we should be learning 
from the coronavirus and our response to it. Uh, as I'm going to air today, congratulations, America. We're number one. USA. USA. Uh, all right, never mind. Um, this might not be the time for that. We are number one. We are number one in instances of coronavirus, infections, and death. And by saying we're number one, we are dramatically number one because, as I keep pointing out, the numbers of reported cases and deaths are undoubtedly a fraction of the actual cases and deaths. But as I go to air, <coughs> we're approaching 450,000 confirmed cases in America. Our testing is still not being up to where it needs to be. We are approaching 15,000 deaths with about 2,000 deaths added just in the last day or so. Yes, you know, maybe we should start calling it the U.S. virus, the United States virus. You know, because that seems to be more accurate. That's where it's really growing and spreading, more than anywhere else in the world. No, you know what, better yet, why don't we call it the Trump virus? I mean, admittedly, it's one of many Trump viruses, along with stupidity, which seems to be a virus that, that gets spread on Fox News and other places. Let's call it the Trump virus. Because one thing we could be confident as, of is that we are doing so badly in the United States with number of cases of death because it seems pretty apparent that we have the single worst response in the world to the coronavirus. The worst response in the world. Fastest growing in the United States. Largest numbers in the United States. Yes. Speaking of Donald Trump, Donald Trump continues to display real leadership when it comes to the coronavirus and our battling the coronavirus. Real leadership, of course, that isn't trickling down to Vice President, what, Science? Mike Pence? Or what? Can't be a princeling? Jared Kushner. I'm talking from Trump, real leadership. The kind of leadership we generally only see from inspiring leaders like Jim Jones or Charles Manson. For those of you who aren't half a century old, Jim Jones, a cult leader who led his hundreds of his followers to commit mass suicide several decades ago. Charles Manson, I think you all probably know. This is the kind of leadership that we're seeing from the, from the cult leader, Donald Trump, who at least, as leaders of cults are wont to be, has been decisive and consistent in his policies and in his directions to the American public. The messaging has been, if nothing else, consistent as at least the right wing. The one thing the right wing manages to do is get its freaking bullshit in order. Like, for instance, we will be opening by Easter. Or, 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 you know, not opening by Easter. We will be quarantining New York. Or not quarantining New, quarantining New York. We will be invoking the 1950 Defense Production Act. And that, no, we won't. Oh, you know what? Yes, we will. We, hey, no one, no one could have predicted this. We will at least be consistent in pointing out that no one could have been prepared for this. Well, it turns out my trade advisor had sent a memo around in January. 
warning us of possibly millions of deaths based on briefings that he'd been told. But gosh, that would require the president of the United States to read something that someone in his administration has said, or, you know, listen to what he was saying, and it didn't have Trump's name in it. So that's not going to happen. It would require actual information being provided to the president. That couldn't happen. The whole idea of leadership itself we've been consistent on. Who the hell is running our response? Is it Trump, the guy who appears on TV? You know, it's not Trump. He's just, you know, he's a TV personality. Always has been. Is it Mikey Mike Pence, the vice president who doesn't believe in science? He seems to have kind of slipped off the, the radar screen there. Is it Jared the Princeling? We don't even know who the hell is coordinating our response. We'd like to believe it's Dr. Anthony Fauci, but mm, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yes, the president has been steady in his leadership, like Fox News is steady in its propaganda. Fox News, whose steadiness consists of supporting the cult leader no matter what he says or does, even if that means changing on a dime from Tuesday to Wednesday. That's what we call steadiness, Fox News and Republican style. Whatever the cult leader says, that's the law, and it always has been, and it always will be, at least until he decides to pull something different out of his ass tomorrow. Then that will be the law that always has been and always will be. Not only is Trump not providing steady leadership, he's not providing any leadership. None. Zero. I um, I went to, to, to get the mail the other day with my eldest son, eight years old. And one of the things in the mail was a mailer from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, a federal government agency that Donald Trump has hollowed out and decimated. But I, I just started laughing. My son said, what are you laughing about? The mailer from, from our government, paid for by our taxpayers, says President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for Americans. Yes, a political ad paid for by the American taxpayer. President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for Americans? Even my eight-year-old was making fun of that. I guess he may listen to me a little bit too much. Um... I, yes, the, I guess the important part of the story is not just that I'm still checking my mail because how ironic would it be if despite all of our efforts to avoid getting the virus, I get it through junk mail, which is pretty much the only mail I get. Junk mail, like for instance, from the federal government supporting election of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's coronavirus guidelines? You know who's not even reading whatever guidelines we have that are changing day by day? You know who's not even reading these guidelines? Donald Trump! Not only is he not issuing the guidelines, he's not even reading the damn guidelines. Okay? Trump will not ma wear the mask that the CDC is advising everybody to wear. That's steady leadership. Hey, everybody, do as I... I don't even say. Don't do as I... Whatever. Okay? Don't even do anything. Don't do what you're told. Donald Trump will not wear his mask. Okay, I, I guess we should almost get ready to leave here on... Um, on... On this note, it's just it's just too wonderful. Insert your own joke here. I'm trying to stall a little bit so you can insert your joke here. Um, why will Donald Trump not wear the mask that the C CDC now advises, Trump's guidelines that we all wear? Well, I'll try a couple just to get you started. You can spend some time after this filling in your own jokes. 
Um, Donald Trump has worn the mask in the past, but for some reason, they always keep turning orange. How about Donald Trump doesn't wear the mask because, gosh, it would be a crime to cover up a face that beautiful. A face that has launched a thousand sexual assault claims. Anyway, guidelines from the president? Who needs ventilators? Who needs them? Because scientists might say that this would be a good idea. Doctors might say it's a good idea. But um, Donald Trump has decided to pull out of his ass the idea that New York doesn't need them. So what the hell? The bigger problem here, of course, is he's making everybody. He's twisting the arms of governors, putting a gun against their heads, so that everybody in this country supports his re-election. More on this next time. What, what does he think? That governors in this country are like the president of Ukraine or the governor of San Juan? Anyway, that's our show. In future shows, I will continue talking about what we should learn from this from the coronavirus and our lack of response to it. I hope you will join us. I hope to have uh, shows coming up soon, uh, maybe later this week or early next week. In the meantime, all of you be safe, be well, take care, think about yourselves and your fellow citizens, and I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Levin.